0: Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 234 of the Real Life Runners Podcast. Today we're talking about effort-based training, specifically why effort-based training is better than pace-based training most of the time, actually. So if you're not sure what effort-based training is, make sure you stay tuned. We'll teach you all about it and why it's so important for you to progress as a runner.
1: This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running.
0: All right, so today we're talking all about effort-based training. If you've never heard this term before, you are going to love this episode. So what is the difference between effort-based training and pace-based training? Let's start there.
1: All right, So pace-based training is kind of what it sounds like is you have a specific number that you're trying to run, how many minutes per mile or minutes per kilometer, depending on where you live in the world. And that is the exact pace. And you, you know, within a few seconds that that means that you're running at the correct Thing for you that day.
0: Yeah. So if you say, or, you know, you have a five mile run and you're doing a tempo workout and you're supposed to hit your tempo miles at nine minute pace, for example, nine minutes per mile, that's an example of a pace-based workout. Or if you're doing quarter repeats and you need to hit every single quarter at eight minute pace, again, again that's a pace-based workout. Effort-based workout on the other hand is listening to your body and going by effort. So there's something called the rating of perceived exertion, or RPE. And this is a measurement, it's a metric that is actually used in tons of research in the fitness world, the exercise world, just health in general. This is a very well accepted way that people can rate their own perceived exertion during any given activity. And what they've actually found is that this is a very reliable and valid measure to use in scientific research. So, It's very simple. It's basically on a scale of 1 to 10. Now, technically, the uh, original rating of perceived exertion chart actually went from 6 to 20. But the modified version of the, the Borg RPE chart is from 1 to 10. So it's simply asking you on a scale of 1 to 10, how hard did that activity feel for you that day?
1: Yeah. I've seen this one to 10 scale used in so many studies. Like it's just, it's a very natural thing and people are pretty good at estimating where their effort levels are on a scale of one to 10. Like we judge things on a scale of one to 10 all the time.
0: Yeah. I think that this is where the nuance comes in though. Like, cause some people are good at it. Like if they've been introduced to the scale before some people aren't really sure a lot of times people tend to fall right to that middle range it's like you know if you um ever fill out one of those customer satisfaction surveys you know and ask you like do you like how satisfied were you on a scale of one to five or on a scale of one to ten a lot of times people tend to kind of go down to the middle range
1: right or the like the personality ones like do you feel really strongly in favor of this Mm -hmm. one kind of strongly neutral like I always pick the kind of in favor of it like there's very few things that I'm super strong towards one end or the other it's
0: so funny that you say that because I recently took the Enneagram test and when I feel like when I took this test um a few months ago or a year ago I forget the last time I took it I was a lot more in the middle, like either neutral or somewhat agree versus strongly agree. And this time when I took it, I was strongly agree or strongly disagree on a lot of things. So I feel like it's more accurate and I feel like I'm also kind of more able to say what I the strong beliefs that I do have and the things that I am very confident in, um, without worrying about what that's going to say about me.
1: (laughs) Because the, the computer program is going to judge you when you come. Exactly. Judge me. All right. But the, uh, the ability to kind of rate your effort on one to 10 is like you said, it's, it's a little nuanced. You do need some practice with this. Um, but it is still, it's a reasonable scale. You can kind of put things in easy, medium, hard. And then from there you can kind of judge, is it extra easy? Is it kind of between easy, medium. Mm -hmm. It gives you enough spots to train and fit your effort in there.
0: Right. And we love effort-based training. This is actually one of the foundational concepts that we teach our runners inside the Real Life Runners Training Academy. We teach them how to run by effort instead of just being glued to their watch, being completely controlled by a pace on a clock, the time on their watch. We teach them why effort-based training is so powerful and how effort-based training is a foundational concept that they need in order to improve their running. And that's what we want to share with you guys today. We want to share with you five reasons why effort-based training is better than pace-based training In a lot of circumstances. Now, before we jump into that, I will say pace based training is still important. Okay, so please don't misunderstand what we're saying here. It is still important to train specific paces, especially if you have a time based goal for a specific race.
1: I mean, even that level to a point, and we'll kind of get into the nuance of this in in some of the the reasons why effort is better than pace. But before we completely dive in there, you mentioned a couple of examples of pace-based workouts, like a tempo run, and you want to stay at exactly like a nine minute per mile Mm -hmm. pace. You could flip that exact same workout over to an effort base Mm -hmm. and say, run the tempo portion at a medium effort. Try to aim for five out of 10 it should feel comfortably uncomfortable. Like you're not jogging, but you're not like really pushing yourself super hard. You're kind of in that middle ground towards the end of the tempo portion. You would like to slow down, but you kind of, you're going to keep being able to push. Mm -hmm. You find what medium feels like. You want to do quarter repeats? Run them at a harder effort. Don't sprint the whole thing, but make them fairly hard. And you can get a really good workout just with kind of those general guideline directions.
0: Absolutely. All right, so let's get into this. Why is effort-based pacing, effort-based training so important for you to improve as a runner. So number one, it teaches you how to listen to your body. Okay. A lot of times as runners, we are told to ignore our bodies and this can lead to a lot of problems, including injury, overtraining, Lots of other things going on, right? More
1: injuries. More injuries. More overtraining. <laughs>
0: yeah. Because essentially that's kind of what happens, right? But when we learn how to listen to our body and how to honor our body, things get so much better, right? You start to actually understand how is my body feeling right now? How is my body feeling during this workout? How, how hard am I able to push myself today given my current situation,
1: Right. And it helps kind of give you a sense of control over your body. Like instead of letting your watch take control over your entire run, you let your mind, you let your own perception of your body kind of take charge of what you get to do on that particular day. It really helps you kind of tune in on a day where you're pushing hard. You're like, is this actually as hard as I could push? Oh man. If I looked at my watch, I don't know if I've ever run this fast before, but I feel like I can handle this. And I don't even feel like I'm I'm sprinting all out or mm-hmm. am I actually going easy enough? If you keep looking at your watch, then you're like, oh man, I'm going so slow today. But if you ignore your watch entirely and you're just like, "Today is going to be an easy run. I want to feel comfortable the entire time. Mm-hmm. Then you can just go out and enjoy a comfortable, easy run.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Which I think flows very nicely into our next point, which is your body makes adaptations based on intensity not based on pace your body doesn't actually know paces your body only knows how hard it's working at any given moment on any given day your body can't read you know a watch a pace a distance it just knows how long am I out here and how hard am I working
1: Right. And this kind of ties into so many people are connected to their watches. Everybody's got their smartwatch, their cool running watch. There's probably a bunch of people listening that got a new upgraded watch for Christmas perhaps. Mm -hmm. So they're great. And I'm not saying that GPS watches are not good. I run with mine all the time and there are really good benefits of it. But if you start letting your entire run be dictated by the numbers on your wrist, instead of how you actually feel in your body, you lose a whole lot of benefits of running.
0: Mm -hmm. For sure. And 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 like we said before, it definitely puts you at a higher risk for overtraining because then you're just following the plan. You're not learning how to actually tap into your body. You're not actually learning how to listen to your body. And this can help you so much on race day as well, right? Because a lot of times if you are training for a race, especially if it's a distance that you've never run before – And you go out there and you're like, okay, my goal for this race is, you know, to break two hours in the half marathon. So that means I need to run a 905 pace the entire time. And so you go out and you just try to hit that 905 and you keep like looking at your watch the whole time. And like, say you're going too fast. You're like, oh gosh, I got to slow down. And then you're going too slow and you've got, oh gosh, I got to, I got to speed up, right? Your body doesn't know. Am I exactly at a 905 pace? Your body just knows how hard am I working? So if you train that way, you know, say you're training for that half marathon and you start to teach your body, this is what half marathon pace should feel like. Then when you go out there and say the weather conditions are absolutely perfect that day and you're running faster than you thought you were going to be able to, Fantastic, right? Like then you're actually gonna hit a better time than you were capable of hitting before, or maybe you didn't get enough sleep that night, and then you know that the intended pace that you were supposed to hit feels way harder than it it was supposed to. So when you learn how to listen to your body and practice that skill during your training, you're just set up much better for racing, for not overtraining, for improving in general.
1: Yeah, I, something else that really lines up nice with the idea of your body makes adaptations based off of intensity. There's so many people that follow training plans with the idea that this exact workout, this many reps at this exact pace will then give me these exact results. This like workout A gives me adaptation B. And that's not how your body works. Like, your body takes a whole lot of other things into account. Repeating workout A the next week might get you completely different adaptations. It's... You know, there, there's physical things that are changing how your body adapts to it. There's also mental issues. Like, did you believe that you were going to get good results out of that workout? Did you not think you were going to get good results? Because if you think that workout's going to get you great benefits, it's going to benefit you more than if you head out there and you're like, eh, I mean, it's on my schedule, but I don't actually think this workout's going to be worthwhile. You're then, then it's not going to be worthwhile. So relying on your intensity to help kind of drive the feel of your workouts is... It kind of knocks down one of these walls that people put up. They're like, no, 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 I have to have these exact paces because these paces lead to these specific changes. If I run at this pace, I increase my VO2 max. I increase my ability to create mitochondria. No, not exactly. Your body's going to make the adaptations that it thinks that it needs to make based off of the efforts. There's some guidelines of different efforts leading to different adaptations, but just because you even stay in the right pace range does not mean you're necessarily going to make the exact same adaptations from one day to the next.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Your body's going to have different adaptations based on effort, based on intensity. So another cool benefit of effort-based training along these same lines is that it removes the ceiling that you may have placed on yourself. So for example, if you say you want to run, you know, under a two-hour half marathon. It's going to spit out all these paces for you, right? If you put your goal into a training calculator, it's going to say, okay, your tempo pace should be this. Your 5K pace should be this. Your mile repeats are going to be this. And it gives you all of those numbers. And so if you go out and you do your training and you hit those numbers in all of your workouts, you're feeling good about yourself, you know, everything is going well, that's fantastic. And you might actually hit that goal, right, of being under two hours, but maybe you run like a 159 what if you could run like a 155 or a 150 even, right? Because maybe for you, those paces were incorrect. You know, a lot of times these pace calculators are based on previous races, which depending on how recent that race was for you, it may or may not be accurate anymore. Maybe you are much more fit now than you used to be, you know, a couple of years ago with the last time you ran a 5k, you know, you know, with, uh, the world situation, the way it is now and a lot of races that have been canceled over the last couple of years, a lot of people haven't raced for quite a while. So how accurate are those times now you know, two years later when we've all gone through some crazy changes in the world, like our lives now are not the same as they were back then. So you may be training at the right level, but you may not be, you know, so if you train by effort and say, you know, that pace calculator tells you that your tempo pace should be like say a nine minute pace. We usually say tempo pace is about like a five, like a level five out of 10. And so maybe a level five out of 10 for you is more like right? If you're then training at that level, you're actually going to be able to run a lot faster in that goal race.
1: Right. So you point out a couple of issues of these like magic online pace calculators. They're good for what they they do. Yeah but they also have drawbacks because of what they are. They're still just like a computer algorithm. So you can say, this is my goal pace and it'll spit out a bunch of things, but that relies on you guessing correctly on your goal pace. Mm -hmm. So if you underestimate your own ability if your goal is break two hours and a half, but you have the physical capability of breaking one fifty and a half, mm-hmm. you're going to train to set yourself up to break two.
0: Right. Or if you overestimate your ability, then you could set yourself up for overtraining an injury.
1: Right. And then you're just going to have a whole bunch of disappointing workouts because you can never hit the paces that it suggests. Mm-hmm. The other thing I much rather prefer to base my current training paces on my current running ability. Mm-hmm. But as you pointed out, if you haven't had a race recently, What race number are you going to punch in there? Like, if you're punching in your recent half marathon and it was two or three years ago, that might not be your current half marathon capability. Or maybe you just recently ran a 5K, but. A five k and a half marathon are substantially different distances, and the the computer will say, "Oh, you ran a five k in this. You can, in theory, run a half marathon in this, but it's kind of guessing a little bit in there."
0: I was just going to make the same point because, like Kevin and I are very different runners um, for a lot of different reasons. But <laughs> te- Kevin loves longer distances, so he loves going out for like longer distances, tempo t- type stuff. I like the shorter distances. I like more speed based workouts. That that's how my body is built that's what I respond better to so if I plug in a 5k time it's whatever it's going to tell me my half marathon or marathon capability is is probably going to be way better than I've ever done before or I don't know I shouldn't say that I'm capable of because I don't really know what I'm capable of but I think that you know some people's bodies are more built for distance and some people's bodies are more built for shorter distances and more speed-based things Right. You can do both. You know, I'm not saying that like you, you can't do, you know, the other one if you're built a certain way. But like there are some people that are just better at shorter, faster distances. And there are some people that are more, you know, um,
1: predisposed.
0: Thank you. I'm, my, I'm like tripping over my words today for some reason.
1: So if you look in your watch, it has like the magic like race time estimators. If you give it your half marathon time it predicts a 5K for you that you can definitely run. Mm -hmm. If you put in your 5K time, it puts a half marathon in for you that makes you go, whoa.
0: Right, exactly. And
1: I get the exact opposite results.
0: Yeah, because if I put in my half marathon time, it tells me that my 5K you know, PR or whatever I'm capable of in my 5k is much slower than what I've actually done before. Right. And then vice versa. If I put my 5k time, it tells me that my half marathon time is faster than I've ever done
1: before. And mine is the complete opposite of that. If I put in my half marathon time, it gives me a 5k that I'm like, yeah, right. That's a good one. I like that. Mm -hmm. But it also has to do with the type of training that I enjoy. I could theoretically get to that number that it spits out at me, but I don't want to do the 5k intense training that would be required to try and chase after that number.
0: Exactly. All right. let's let's move on to point number three, okay? Point number three of why effort-based training is better than pace-based training is that it takes real life into account, okay? So real life changes how a pace feels on any given day. So things like the amount of stress you're under, the amount of sleep you got last night, how your nutrition has been, have you been eating, you know, lots of protein and fruits and vegetables and quote unquote healthy foods, or have you been eating a lot of like fried processed fast food lately, that's going to make a difference on how your body feels. So different stressors on the body lead to different abilities to recover and make those physical adaptations. And so when you go, if you do your training through effort, then you can Make those adaptations on any given day just by asking yourself, how hard does this feel that, you know, today? So for example, if your easy pace is say around 10 minute per mile on average, maybe one day if you're like really stressed at work and you haven't gotten a lot of good sleep and you're stressed about the holidays or you have family in town or whatever it might be, and you go out for your normal easy run and you're out there and you're like, okay, you're trying to hit that normal 10-minute pace. You're like, this feels way harder than it should today for some reason. Your easy pace that day is not 10 minutes then. It needs to be slower. It needs to be maybe 10.15, maybe 10.30, maybe even 11 for you to really maintain that easy level 2 effort because it's so, so important that you do again, 80% of your training at that level to easy effort in order for you to avoid overtraining, make significant improvements and continue to improve as a runner.
1: Right. So you point out the issues that comes up with people not running to run slower than their quote unquote easy pace, yeah. but you get the same thing at the other end of the spectrum. If you haven't slept very much and you're under a huge amount of stress at like with family or job or something's causing a huge amount of stress, Outside of your running life, you know, if in real life, your level seven, your level eight, your harder runs are also going to feel a whole heck of a lot harder. And if you're like, oh, well, harder run to me is eight minute per mile, then. If I can't hit 8 minute per mile, that means I'm not actually putting in a hard workout. But as we covered, your body doesn't know what 8 minute per mile is. Your body doesn't know what 5 minute per kilometer is. It literally doesn't know that. It knows I am running and it feels hard. I'm running and it feels medium. I'm running and it feels almost all out. Like it knows what that is and it will adapt accordingly. So you also can't freak out if your pace does not match on a hard day Mm -hmm. because you're still going to gain the benefits if you put the appropriate effort forth.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because your body makes... Adaptations, physical adaptations, again, based on your effort and intensity, not based on paces. Paces can be good guidelines for you to know whether or not you're pushing hard enough, but you also need to check in with yourself and say, how is this actually feeling in my body? Does this feel medium? Does this feel harder than medium? Does this feel easier than medium? Because if you're supposed to go out for like a level five run or like a tempo pace run and it's feeling really easy that day, maybe the weather is absolutely gorgeous and it's perfect and you're well rested and you're well hydrated and everything is, you know, shaping up for a fantastic run, if you stick to like that nine minute tempo pace that you're supposed to run, you're not actually going to be getting the same benefits and adaptations than if you pushed it a little bit faster and actually made that a level five, because maybe that day when you're feeling amazing, a nine minute pace feels maybe more like a level three, right? So you have to actually go a little bit faster to get up to that level five so that you can have the appropriate physical adaptations that are intended for that workout.
1: Right. So real life, hundred percent changes things. It can make easy runs feel easier or make easy runs feel harder. It does this for everything. It can, And you have to adjust accordingly. You have to push yourself to the appropriate effort level. You kind of alluded in there to point number four, of the physical world around you also changes your effort needed, okay? Just the same way that stress in life and sleep and nutrition play a role in how hard things do, so does the weather. Like, knowing what your easy pace is on like a crisp fall day and what it is in the middle of like sleet and snow in the winter or a hundred degrees and humid in the summer, mm-hmm. these are all completely different paces, even if they're the same general effort level.
0: Right. And this leads to a lot of emotional distress in people, right? Like if you're out there and you're like, Oh my god, I don't understand why this feels so hard, but yet maybe you're traveling and you're visiting family in Colorado for a vacation, you're at altitude all of a sudden, right? Oh, you can't <laughs> breathe. Especially especially those of us that are Floridians that live at sea level to go out to the mountains and run. It's a whole different ballgame or to go up into the snow and run. totally different for people that, you know, from the North that come down here and run in Florida. I hear it all the time. Like, Oh, I don't know how you guys run in Florida because the heat and humidity, we're just adapted to it. Right. But if you're not adapted to it, whatever weather or terrain hills like for example okay like we don't have hills down here it is flat we use bridges as our as our hills and to do hill repeats and whatnot but other places like hills are just a part of the terrain that easy pace running on hills is going to be much different than your easy pace running on flat ground
1: yeah if you basically can't go outside and ever find a flat ground your pace is going to change continuously over the course of an easy run Mm -hmm. because you're going up you're going down maybe you have brief stints of flat, right. but your pace is all over the place because you're trying to just stay easy and comfortable. And when it gets super, super steep, there's no easy pace when you're going up an incredibly steep hill. Right. Because even there's walking not... is hard. Right. So then you have that brief stretch of your run where you're like, yeah, and then I took a walking break to go up the really, really steep hill. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of coasted down on the other side. So overall, it was a very easy run.
0: Right. Because, and that's why effort is so, so powerful. And And if you don't let your pace or the fact that sometimes you might need to walk dictate how you feel about that run, it is such a powerful tool. And that takes us perfectly into point number five of why effort-based training is so powerful. It removes some of the stress of getting your workout correct. So going back to those wonderful GPS watches that all of us runners love, I know so many people that have a Garmin watch that at the end of every single run, it'll tell them productive, unproductive, maintaining, like it gives you like a rating of how your run was that day. And if you're trying to hit, again, those paces, maybe you're pushing too hard on that day. Maybe you're going too easy. And so you get the dreaded unproductive thing, right? And then it makes you feel bad about yourself for the workout. And then you start to question your training and then it's like one giant spiral
1: downward. Right. I don't know what watch that is. Maybe I've turned that function off on mine. But no, we don't you- have it on ours. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, if I, if we had it, I would have to then ask you, my tech advisor, how do I get rid of the thing that tells me that I'm being unproductive on this thing? <laughs> because I don't, I don't need that at the end of the run. Like, mm-hmm. I know at the end of a run without looking at my watch and my watch tells me, oh, you need 13 hours to recover. You need 20 hours to recover. Mm -hmm. I'll let you know when I'm recovered. Like I, I have a pretty good idea. This goes back to point one. Like you get a feel for your body of whether you're actually recovered because all of those numbers of it was productive, it was unproductive. You need this many hours of recovery. It's all guessing. It's all looking at your heart rate and then putting it into a big giant algorithm that who knows how many variables it's taking into account and how many times it's estimating on those variables like it is a lot of estimations and if you're basing whether that was a good or a bad run off of what a watch says based off of a whole lot of guesses that it's making that's really not gaining the benefit out of the run you're now going to wipe out any benefits that you could get out of the run if the watch tells you you didn't gain anything
0: well and it like it say you went out for a run and you felt really good but then for some reason your watch is telling you something different and also the watch is aren't always accurate when it's measuring your heart rate like there's definitely been times that I've looked down on my watch today for example I was out on an easy run I was feeling super comfortable super easy I looked down and my heart rate said 170 and I was like what what are you talking about it's definitely not at 170 I checked it it was manually it was not at 170 and I like I watched it for about 15 to 20 seconds and it dropped like 20 points like that did not just happen it was like some weird error reading that was going through the watch because they're not 100% accurate. No,
1: if you don't have a chest strap, you really can't give good trust to it. I mean,
0: even the chest straps have some level of error. They are better, right? They are more accurate. But um, so anyway, there is no stress involved of whether or not you did the workout correct. Now, I say that with a little grain of salt because when people first start training with us, they are always afraid that they're doing this wrong and they're always like, I don't know if I understand it. I don't know if I got this correct and that's totally normal. It's There's totally a learning curve here, but we always keep reassuring them. You can't do this wrong, right? Just keep going easier or, you know, start learning how to push to that level five. It is a process to kind of figure this out in your body and we can definitely help you if you're interested in, in training this way, but... It does take a little bit of learning. It takes a little practice, but it's, that's kind of part of the fun of it too, It's like you're learning how to listen to your body and how to honor your body. And it's not like pass or fail. It's not correct or not correct. It's just allowing you to go out there and enjoy your runs more and know that you're gaining certain adaptations because of how hard you're pushing or how easy you're going on any given day.
1: Right. So you've got the issue of the watch can, in fact, tell you it was productive or unproductive. But if you're doing a workout and you have a specific pace and on that day, you actually physically can't keep up with that pace. You know, you're supposed to be hitting nine minute miles and you're coming through and the watch is clicking off and it's telling you it's 920. If you're supposed to do like, I don't know, three, four mile steady run at nine minute pace and you come through and you hit the first one at 920, but you feel like you're going at a medium effort, then you're doing the workout correctly. Mm -hmm. There's no falling short if you put it into an effort base, not like, Oh man, I I didn't achieve the goal time. So that workout must've been a complete waste. it also takes the the other end of it off. Like you're feeling good. So instead of holding yourself back to nine, you push yourself out a little bit faster because it still feels medium. You're going to get the best benefit out of it. It, it removes the the bumpers like sure could you end up pushing too hard or too easy it's like bowling you put the bumpers in there, it's safer. You're going to knock some pins down, but you you can't quite push the boundaries as much on this guy. Like you you can't live on the edge and that, that might be, uh, maybe it's not like bowling.
0: I was just wondering how, how it's like bowling. Maybe if you like do one of those spin balls that almost goes into the gutter, but it doesn't go into the gutter and then it flips back and like gives you a strike. Sure. But if the bumper's there, then it would bounce off the bumper and not give you the strike.
1: Excellent. Way to save my metaphor. I was
0: trying. I I got, I, I was like, I'm like, look at, I'm like, well, how does this one work? I'm I started to down the one.
1: path and I'm like, I'm not sure this is going to go, but yeah, sure. Something where you would have to hit the extreme like you and push then the edge. You're, you're, you want to push yeah. the boundary and you can't push the boundary unless you actually know exactly what the precise numbers are. And from one day to the next, you never know with the exact paces that you're supposed to be running. Mm -hmm. So effort-based training really helps play a massive role, however fast you are.
0: Yeah, but doesn't it just sound awesome to not do it wrong also? Like, (laughs) I feel like as runners, we tend to be more of like a type A personality. We want to do our best. We're out there trying to challenge ourselves and grow and improve and get faster and do all these things. But like, if you're not hitting the paces that you're quote unquote supposed to hit. You're like, crap, I did that one wrong again, right? It's, it's the letdown here. You are doing something that's so good for yourself. You're getting out the door. You're running. You're even following a training plan that is telling you what kinds of runs to do. You should feel damn good about yourself at the end of the run period. End of story. And if you're out there trying to hit an arbitrary pace and you're not hitting the paces and that makes you feel bad about the run, Why the heck are you doing it in the first place, right? And I'm not saying that every run is going to feel amazing. I'm not saying that there's not going to be those lows in your training. There is, for sure. But overall, you should feel good about it, and you shouldn't have to worry about whether or not you're doing the workout correct. When you tap into how your body feels and running by effort, you know whether or not you've done it correctly.
1: And, you know, feeling good at the end of all of your runs, that certainly helps your consistency. If you go out and you have the, a quote-unquote bad workout, and then the next day you're supposed to hit like an easy pace, but you're so exhausted from the workout the day before that it's easier than your, you know, ideal easy pace. And you're like, oh man, and that one was real slow. And now you've had two workouts that you felt bad at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, all right, I pushed hard on this day, now I'm going to push easy on this next day. Now you feel like you've been following a plan based off of effort Effort, and you're actually gaining the benefits from this, and you feel successful with it, as opposed to knowing there are precise paces that you kind of essentially win or lose based mm-hmm. off of hitting those paces, because that's not how training works. If you can build up that consistency of saying every day I've accomplished a good goal of running the effort I was aiming for, you know, sometimes. I go too fast on my, the the days. Yeah. Oops, I missed that one. I went a little bit hard when I was supposed to go medium. So I, I adjust and then I make sure that I go plenty easy on the next day. But every day is generally set up as a success mm-hmm. that builds the consistency. The consistency then builds even more success. This is the snowball that you want to create.
0: hundred percent. And this is why effort-based training is so powerful. So if you want to learn more about effort-based training, and if you want some help figuring out all of this for yourself. We would love for you to come join the Real Life Runners Training Academy. It is our membership program where we coach runners. We give you the exact plan that you need to follow, including all of your run days, all of your strength workouts, everything that you need to know to make this easy, simple, and effective. You're busy. Life is real, right? Real life is out there. You need a training plan that fits you and your life. And that's what we love to give to our runners. So check us out over at the website, realliferunners.com for, we've got lots of free resources for you over there. And like I said, if you really want to see how this can apply to your life and start practicing this in your running, join the academy we would love to coach you and help you achieve your goals this year so this has been the real life runners podcast episode number 234 thanks for joining us now get out there and run your life
1: hey if you enjoy listening to this podcast you have to come check out the real life runners training team it's our monthly coaching program where we take all of this material we apply it and we take it to the next level We teach you how to train your mind, body, and skills for true and lasting success in your running and your life.
0: We offer customized training plans, live coaching calls, and one-on-one coaching, along with our proven system to help you transform into the runner you want to be and achieve your goals. Come join our team over at realliferunners.com forward slash team and start to truly run your life. We'll see you there.